0: This is
1: Dialogue Gospel Sunday Study. All right. Okay. Hello and welcome to Dialogue Gospel Study for Sunday, January 8th, 2023 with Margaret Olson-Hemming, who will be kicking off the new year in our study of the New Testament today. I'm Rebecca Deschweinitz and on behalf of the Dialogue Foundation, board and along with fellow board members Chris Kimball and Michael Austin, who are also helping out today. Uh, we're happy to have you tuning in. Whether you're a longtime listener or have just found Dialogue Gospel Study, we invite you to check out all that Dialogue has to offer at our website, dialoguejournal.com. There you can find previous Gospel Study lessons, other offerings like Dialogue Out Loud and Dialogue Book Report, as well as links to all the great shows in the Dialogue Podcast Network. James Jones and Derek Knox are back with new episodes of Belong Beyond the Block and after today's lesson you may want to check out Blair Hodges interview with Margaret and the Reverend Dr Fatima Saleh on Fireside. You can also find the latest issue of the journal along with the entire dialogue archive at dialogjournal.com. That's more than 5 decades of the journal's scholarship, poetry, essays, sermons, fiction and art. In the very first issue of Dialogue Founder Eugene England wrote, my faith encourages my curiosity and awe. It thrusts me out into relationship with all creation and encourages me to enter into dialogue. Faith and curiosity and awe continue to guide the work we do. Find out how you can support the work and secure the future of the oldest independent Mormon Studies Journal at the donate link at dialoguejournal.com. For those live on Zoom today, as always, you're invited to post respectful and relevant comments and questions in the chat. We'll follow along on Facebook where we are also live, um, I think. (laughs) Today's teacher is Margaret Olson Hemming. Margaret is the co-author of the Book of Mormon for the Least of These, Volumes 1 and 2, the former editor-in-chief of Exponent 2. She is the current art editor of Dialogue A Journal of Mormon Thought. She sits on the advisory board for the Center of Latter-day Saint Arts and curated the exhibit The Sacred Feminine in LDS Art and Theology uh, for the Center Gallery last year. She earned a master's degree in international peace and conflict resolution from American University. She and her husband Patrick are parents and foster parents in North Carolina. As with any Latter-day Saints scripture study class, the views expressed today are those of the individual teacher and participants. They do not necessarily reflect those of the Dialogue Foundation, the Church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, or any other organization. Our opening prayer will be offered by Katie Ludlow-Rich. Katie is a writer and independent scholar of Mormon women's history based in Saratoga Springs, Utah. When she started submitting writing after years of staying at home with her four children, Margaret Olson Hemming was the first to publish Katie's words in print in Margaret's final issue as editor in chief of Exponent 2 magazine. We start today with music, a stunning arrangement by Jeremy Winston, uh, performed by the Jeremy Winston Chorale of Take My Hand, Precious Lord. Margaret chose this hymn as a tribute to the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whose birth and life. And the movement he represents will be celebrating next week. It was his
2: favorite song. Thank you. Thanks for that introduction, Rebecca. Um, <clears throat> so, um,
3: Michael, should you... I give a prayer real quick, Margaret? Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> our dear heavenly parents, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather together over Zoom from our disparate locations and to be inspired by the beautiful music. Margaret is such a kind, thoughtful and generous teacher, and we are grateful to be able to learn from her. We pray for thy spirit to be with us that we may learn what is for us to learn and take with us what we need in the name of jesus christ amen amen thanks
0: without someone like walking up to the pulpit as the music ends i just completely forgot
2: um okay michael would you start the powerpoint so we can see it
4: 1 minute here
2: yes okay i can start going while you do that
0: so when um when dialog asked me to introduce the new testament it felt uh, like a big topic to handle in one uh one class setting um and i am not a a, a big scholar of the new testament um so i felt a, a little intimidated by the assignment. But um, what I have spent some time doing in my work is thinking and writing about uh, how scripture not only uplifts and serves and, um, and helps and points people toward God, but also how it has been interpreted through history to harm certain people and certain groups. And so what I want to do today is talk about how, uh, the new Testament has been, has been used, um, either purposefully or, um, or not, uh, to harm certain groups of people and how, and then we're going to, to explore, uh, alternative ways to interpret holy text so that we can avoid um, those historical um, errors or or harms. Um, so the four groups we're gonna talk about today are Jews, um, Black, indigenous people of color or BIPOC, women and LGBTQ people. There are many others, um, but those are the two, those are the four groups that I felt like we had um, time to talk about today. Um, We're going to be drawing, or I'm going to be drawing heavily on three of my favorite theologians who have uh, immersed themselves in New Testament text. Uh, The three that I'm going to be pulling from most heavily are um, Dr. Amy Jill Levine, Dr. Miguel de la Torre, and Dr. James Cohn. And um, there's a lot of material here, but I am happy to have people... Uh, jump in with comments, um, questions, your thoughts, at any point we can have this um, just be fluid and flexible. So uh, anytime you want to raise your hand, go for it um, or or put something in the chat. Um,
2: so, okay, Michael, can we move forward? Okay, so we're going to start with two
0: principles to establish right up front. The first and this is kind of a big chunk of quote to read, but I I think it's really important. This is from Miguel de la Torre's book, Reading the Bible from the Margins, which I really strongly recommend reading. Um, and he, he says, no biblical interpretation is ever developed in a social or cultural vacuum. Most interpretations are autobiographical, where we ascertain the meaning of the text through the telling of our own stories, projecting onto the Bible how we define and interpret the biblical story in light of our own life experiences. All official interpretations reflect the social location of those with authority to make their personal interpretations the acceptable societal norm. And what he means by social location is... Sort of the the crossroads of all of the pieces of your identity that come together to to make you who you are um, so i am white i'm female i'm you know i'm middle-aged i'm upper middle class i live in the united states i am physically able i'm mormon All of those things come together, plus all of my personal life experiences, like my childhood, how I was raised, um, my marriage, my, you know, children, all of these things come together to affect how I interpret scripture when I read it. And this is important because sometimes we think that the way that biblical interpretation has been sort of Explain to us is the truth, right? Or it is the the single truth of how to read that scripture. And what he's saying is those official interpretations um, reflect that the people who were able to make those the official interpretations have some kind of social power to have that be the overriding narrative.
2: Um, Okay, we can move forward. The second principle that I want to establish um, on this lesson is that
0: we can take this this scripture upon this rock will I build this my church and say far too often interpretations of the New Testament have been used as rocks to throw at people, rather than as rocks on which to build a good
2: society and point people to God. So how do we, um, how do we do the latter? Right. Um, Next slide. So
0: here are the four groups that the New Testament has been used to, to hurt um, over, you know, hundreds, thousands of years. Um, In my experience, Mormons use two inadequate approaches for these hurtful sections of scripture. One is that we skip over or excise the parts that we feel uncomfortable with. Um, I'm thinking about like Dr. Incumbent's 132, the manual completely just cuts out the sections of polygamy and pretends like they're not there, right? And then we have a lesson on eternal marriage without talking about this big thing that is in the scripture, right? We just kind of pass over it, pretend like, like just don't look at these verses. Um, we see that a lot in the Book of Mormon. Um, that's part of the the work that I've been doing and reading, reading through um, other interpretations of the Book of Mormon. Um, or when we do touch on it, we come up with answers too quickly. Right. We, we want to apologize for it. We want to feel comfortable again. And so we say, oh, well, it's that the Bible wasn't translated correctly or that God told them to do that thing. And so it's, you know, we just don't understand because we don't understand God or, you know, whatever kind of argument to grab at to just restore that sense of it's fine. It's fine, we just can move on because we don't need to worry about it, right? And um, what I would like to do instead is sit with those places of tension that make us uncomfortable and, um, and also not use them to hurt people. So how can we read the New Testament more abundantly to create a better society, to help all people uh, live into the most, um, the best kind of life that they can have in this world, build Zion together and also truthfully without ignoring these things that we don't really wanna talk about.
2: Okay, next slide.
0: Okay, so we're going to start with New Testament and and people of the Jewish faith. So how has the New Testament been interpreted to cause harm? I mean, there's like some fairly obvious issues here, Um, lots of history that we could go over, but I think, think, you know, we don't need to rehearse it. Um, There's some common misconceptions in the way that we talk about the New Testament that could be easily corrected. Uh, Sometimes we talk about, this idea of like, Jesus was a feminist in language of like Jesus invented feminism somehow, or that like things were so bad for women in his society. And then he came down and kind of made it all right for them, right? Um, We also talk about this idea that uh, Jews up to the time thought that if you were rich, you were righteous and that Jesus reversed that idea, right? Completely uh, overturned it. uh we talk about like the pharisees that they were engaged in works righteousness and legalism and that um and that jesus came along and gave not a law but a principle right of like oh jesus just said love everyone and um and you know we don't need to worry about all of those those little laws that they were doing um, Because instead we just have this idea of like, love God and love your neighbor. And that's all we need to do. Uh, And then also this idea that the temple was an awful system that exploited people and enforced um, these terrible purity laws. And and when Jesus came in and cleansed the temple, you know, he did away with that. Um, There's also this this verse that has been used. I don't think we need to read it. It's, um, It's pretty hateful, but it's been interpreted over time of this idea of Jews being children of the devil. Um, So we need to sit with that. There's not a good answer with what we do with that verse. Um, But that doesn't mean that we get to just pretend it's
2: not in the book. So what do we do with these misconceptions? Next slide. Okay, so it, we can use
0: language that recognizes that Jesus is part of a long line of prophets, parable tellers, and miracle workers that reaches all the way back into the, the Old Testament, right? his The work that he's doing, the way that he speaks, um, has a lot of familiarity to the prophets of the Old Testament, right? Elijah raised the dead and healed people. You have Nathan telling parables. you have the infant Moses surviving a genocide. So this is this is part of a a, a tradition um, that looks looks continuous, right? Um, Amy Jill Levine uh, said that to her it sounds like the same music, played on different instruments and in a different key. This is a a Jewish scholar who has studied uh, the New Testament. Um, When we talk about women in the New Testament, there's lots of examples of women having power that like already in the society, right? So Mary and Martha seem to have their own home when Jesus tells the parable of the woman in the lost coin, a woman has her own money and she invites other women to come celebrate with her when she finds her lost coin. Um, and and the society around Jesus understood this idea. This wasn't like, what is, what is this woman doing with a coin, right? Um, there are women in the synagogue. So the bent over woman that Jesus heals um, is at the synagogue. And then there are women in the temple. So there's Anna and, and Mary who go into the temple. Um, so I think sometimes in our in our efforts to sign up sort of establish Jesus as everything good, which is a worthwhile, <laughs> that's a worthwhile effort, we sometimes say everything before was bad. And and that's That's detrimental. Using that kind of language is hurtful to people. Um, We need to understand that Jesus is very much in the tradition uh, that he that he's born into. Um, I think it's clear that Jesus cares about the law and the Torah. So rather than talking about Jesus overturning the law and saying that everything is new, we can think of Jesus expanding the law or building a fence around the law. So, for instance, if we say, um, thou shalt not kill is the law, overturning that law would be go get a gun and kill everyone you want to, right? But instead, Jesus takes the law and expands it and says, don't be angry. So that's not overturning the law, that is building a fence around the law, which is something that is very familiar again to Jewish tradition. Um, Again, we have don't commit adultery and that turns to don't lust after people, right? So it's taking the law even further and saying, I respect the law so much, we're going to
2: expand it more. Uh, Jesus at the temple, this was,
0: uh, I mean, Paul clearly thinks that the temple is fine. Um, When Jesus cleanses the temple, he's concerned about people paying for repentance and kind of going on automatic, right? So we can think about how does this, how does this relate to our own lives? Do people come to church, pay their tithing, and then feel like they're good, that they don't need to worry about um, their own spiritual life. Are they good with God? The church can also be a den of thieves, right? Um, so how do we, instead of sort of pointing fingers at other people and saying, oh, Jesus needed to cleanse that temple over there. How do we think about cleansing our own temple or cleansing the temple inside of us? And then finally, this idea that um, Jews at the time are like, you know, Jesus brought this idea of caring for the poor, works righteousness, like read Deuteronomy, it's all in there, right? So this is not, um, this is not new for the time. Um, read the Magnificat, like Jesus is very much the son of Mary. Um So, yeah, we just don't want to think that like the New Testament is entirely separated from what has come before. And instead think of we cannot fully understand the New Testament without reading what has
2: come before. Okay, next slide. so why is this important um just
0: to bring this into the present because i think that uh every time we read scripture um we should be reading the team always says read a script, read your scripture with your scriptures in one hand and a newspaper in the other right to understand what it how it applies to our lives um 2021 was the highest number of instances of um, anti-Semitic, uh, hate crimes in the United States. Um, it's increasing over time. Uh, this is Rabbi Daniel Rutenberg, um, who talks about how we shouldn't use Pharisees as a insult or as language to call people because they are the ancestors of Jews today. Um, and we need to understand that Jesus was a Jew who was arguing with his own people. About, um, about how to understand the future of
2: Judaism. Okay, <clears throat> next slide.
0: So this is the, I have a book to recommend for every, um, every group of people. This is the one that I would recommend for this group, the Jewish Annotated New Testament. Um, I don't need to say a lot about it, except that I think Amy Joe Levine is absolutely brilliant. And every time um, you start to get into verses that could be uh, a little bit of an issue, um, there's an annotation there of like pulling you back into how to be sensitive
2: to the Jewish community. All right, next slide. Okay, the New Testament and and BIPOC, Um How has the New Testament been interpreted to cause harm?
0: So, um, the New Testament has been was used in the United States uh, to perpetuate slavery, um, particularly these verses from Ephesians
2: um, about slaves obey your masters. Um, And I want to also highlight this image of
0: sort of a typical white Jesus um, artwork um, because I think this is just as um, sort of insidious and problematic, even if it is more subtle um, than, than this the sort of saying like, here it's in the scriptures, you're supposed to obey your masters. But this images of, of a blue eyed, um, light-skinned Jesus have over time created a sense of, um, you know, this is what God looks like and, uh, taking away the story of where he came from as, you know, a Middle Eastern Jew and replacing that with kind of a Nordic looking person, um, is, is very destructive
2: for, um, for this community. Uh, okay. Next slide. This is a
0: quote from a 19th century reverend. Um, and I brought it into this lesson because sometimes I think it's, it's easy for me in, in my social location to think about the New Testament and its issues with slavery and how it's been used to justify slavery and think, oh yeah, that's a real problem. And then kind of mentally move on and kind of think like, oh yeah, I should think about that at some point or what do I do with that? And then kind of mentally drop it. Um, But if you are in that group, um, that is not possible. It's not possible to just let go of that, that idea, these these texts of terror, these these harmful verses, and think, oh, maybe someday I'll understand why that's there. And if we want to be true Christians, living into our our covenants of baptism, of mourning for those that mourn, and connecting with one another, then I think we need to feel this quote. As, as much as our hearts can possibly feel another person's pain, we need to understand this kind of pain. Um, so he said, does the Bible condemn slavery without any regard to circumstances or not? I, for one, desire to know. My repentance, my faith, my hope, my love, my perseverance, all, all, I conceal it not, I repeat it, all turn upon this point. If I am deceived here, if the book of God does sanction slavery, I want another book, another repentance, another faith and another hope. Uh, so I, I just thought this was such a beautiful example of like, it all comes for, for him, this faithful man, he's become a, a, a reverend before you know the end of the civil war. Imagine his struggles to get to this place and he's saying his whole faith hinges on this. Does our whole faith hinge on this? Do we understand it as, do we,
2: do we struggle with it as deeply as he is struggling with it? Okay, next slide. Margaret, if I can just
1: jump in. (laughs) That's so so moving to me, that that quote. Um, And also just knowing a little bit more about Pennington's life, Um, that idea of desire, you know, the desire to know. Um, And it seems like so often that's not the goal, right? That you pointed out at the beginning um, that we wanna, the goal is often to find comfort, to feel reassured, to move on to something that like doesn't challenge us so much, but, um, I I think I'm going to take that with me, (laughs) like that, that question about, um, what do I desire to know and what I'm, what am I willing to struggle with as I, as I explore the new Testament this year? So, uh, anyway, thanks. No, thank you. Yeah. Um,
0: and again, it's, it's a little hard for me to follow the chat and talk. So if anyone has, you know, feel free to raise your hand and jump in if you if you have comments to make. Um, Okay, and then again, I just wanted to bring this up in case we think, you know, well, slavery is in the past. That was 150 years ago. We don't need to worry about it anymore. Um, I just wanted to bring up this, um, this recent research that has Uh, come out um, about racial disparities and child gun deaths uh, in the last couple of years. These are some pretty striking um, lines across this graph, something that we all need to be um, urgently concerned about um, and how uh, our faith and um, how our faith has been interpreted over many hundreds of years, um, continues to impact um, our society today. Okay, next slide. And and also saying, how do we answer this question? Where is the God of the New Testament for those who suffer from racial injustice today? Um, James Cone, who wrote this extraordinary book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, wrestled with this question in a powerful and heartbreaking way by tying the image of of the cross and that of the lynching tree in America together um, and saying, we need to understand these two symbols as intertwined. Um, He points out that the cross and the lynching tree were used as symbols of terror instruments of torture and execution, and primarily used by those in power to kill the least powerful in society in a humiliating public and painful way. He also speaks to his bewilderment and pain in realizing that white theologians did not make this connection
2: or speak about it. Next slide. So, this is from his book. In their spiritual wrestling, Black Christians
0: experienced the weakness and power of God's love revealed in the cross, mysteriously saving them from loneliness and abandonment and the unspeakable violence by bloodthirsty mobs. Black ministers preached about Jesus' death more than any other theme because they saw in Jesus' suffering and persecution a parallel to their own encounter with slavery, segregation, and the lynching tree. So when we talk about the cross in the New Testament, when we talk about Jesus's death in the New Testament, um, we don't, and you know, this isn't unique to Mormons. This is very much part of, of the white Christian experience. We don't typically turn to the black experience to understand our theology. Which is truly a tragedy. Um, the New Testament has much more to offer us if we did, if we thought about the cross with the layers of depth of symbolism that James Cone has done here. Um, there's a lot more that we could be we could be getting from it. Uh, here's how here's how Dr. Martin Luther King understood um, the idea of how the New Testament interacts with the racism of of our time. He said that God's love created um, all humans for each other in community, that this was God's intent. White supremacy is the sin that separates people in much of the world. So that's that's what's pulling us apart. And that God reconciled humanity through the cross, preventing white supremacy from having the final and ultimate word on human relationships. So can we think of the cross as a way of of overcoming white supremacy? Can we think of it as a way of overcoming racism? Um, Can we think of it as God's offering to overcome this failing of mortality and bring us back into community as God's original intent? Again, Dr. Cohn saying, God's reconciling love in the cross empowered human beings to love one another, bearing witness with our whole being in the struggle against against evil, whatever the cost. Thus, blacks and whites together were free to create the beloved community in our religious life. And the beloved community was a phrase that um, Martin Luther King used all the time. Um, uh, we would probably call it Zion um, in our, you know, church life, um, but this idea of we're coming together to to build a good society in which everyone can flourish, in which everyone is protected and safe and healthy, and we can all have that space to reach out to God to make covenants to build our spiritual lives.
2: Okay. Um, okay, next slide.
0: There's one more uh, point I want to make here about New Testament and bipoc. This is a poem um, by Lorraine Hansberry that that speaks to again how the Black community has has wrestled um, with the cross and the lynching tree and how um, how it's tied together in theology. Um,
2: Katie, would you be okay with, are you,
3: Yeah. would you I, be okay to with read that one? Yeah. Yeah. Laurel, name sweet like the breath of peace. Blood and blood hatred there. White robes and black robes and a burning, burning cross. Cross in Laurel, cross in Jackson, cross in Chicago, and a cross in front of the city hall in New York City.
0: Yeah, so again, just this idea of seeing instead of there being one cross that in each um, in each lynching, seeing another cross, seeing another innocent death, seeing Christ in the least of these, in each of these people who were killed without mercy in this public vicious way and saying God wept for each of them we weep for them. Um, This is, uh, and then again, I just wanna go back to the art thing. Um, I just love LDS art. Um, This is a piece by an LDS artist named Tyrone Whitehorse. Um, It's called Navajo, Madonna, and Child. Um, If we think about the way that art and poetry has helped people has, has both helped and harmed people in this work, um, how the images of white Jesus have, have potentially harmed people over time. And, and there's nothing wrong with those individual, those pieces individually, but could we add to that narrative in, in helping people see themselves in the divine, right. And in giving space for all artists to create concepts of many different images of Jesus, many different images of God. Um, I, I think that has a really incredible potential uh, to give people uh, spiritual empowerment or to to help them empower themselves spiritually. Uh, so I love this piece of the idea of a Navajo Madonna and and Jesus. Obviously it's, you know, this is geographically not um, not where Jesus was, but we can reimagine God in many ways, right? And and that's beautiful. Um, okay, next slide. And this is just a reminder uh, that the art in come Fa- the come follow me manual does not limit us. Those though as. Um, those images are you know picked by a committee from the church there are so there's so much good art out there so when we're teaching lessons when we're teaching our kids um there are absolutely more options this is just a very quick list that i put together anybody who wants to add more uh names in the chat i'd be happy to um, welcome more more names. I was also going to, to mention Meeting House Mosaics, thanks to uh, Jen Altman. Um, but these are all LDS artists who are creating alternative versions of Jesus or scenes from the New Testament. And we can use all of those images um, and and that, that helps create a different story, right? And it helps people feel like they are welcome um, and that they're their stories, their lives are are seen
1: in the church. Okay, next slide. <clears throat> so I love the Navajo art piece and that with um, Hansberry's poem. Just um, again, like thinking about the different parallels that expand our thinking about the New Testament, about Christ, about the gospel, about what zion the beloved community looks like Um, and i think especially in that in the poem like we see uh the ways that white supremacy has been embedded in Mm -hmm. scripture right that the you know symbol the burning cross right that the clan and citizens councils take up these you know symbols Mm -hmm. to do harm to to people and then that you know reclaiming of the cross um, and of um, kind of relationship to Christ and, you know, the the cross in Jackson and Chicago in um, Greenwood, wherever, <laughs> um, showing kind of Christ's um, presence there in the Black community and that um, he's with them. Anyway, um, yeah. thank you.
0: <laughs> no, I love that and and it's important because it's it's so vital that we think of this was an invention, right? This yeah. was a, a creative endeavor in both in both ways, right with both groups. and and that helps us remember that the the way we talk about Jesus, the art that we use is not inevitable. Yeah, we can continue that process of creation, that process of inventing new ways of of thinking about the New Testament and thinking about Jesus.
1: Yeah, and of and of even just questioning our comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Katie, do you want to share this comment that you put in chat?
3: as well. Sure. Yeah. Well, I just a while ago I had thought about, I became uncomfortable with the idea of an unshakable faith. And part of it was issues with the foundation of my house in Springville, Utah and a different foundation in Texas got me thinking about foundations and shakability and all of that. But I felt I wanted a faith that could be shaken and moved and be responsive to what is happening around me. And that quote that you shared from Reverend Pennington about his faith hinging on this point just started me wondering about what does my faith hinge on and what is something that can cause my faith to move and connect differently like is my faith something that when I learn something new that I can grow and and adapt Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: yeah I think that's interesting think of it as a living thing right that responds to response to input. Yeah.
3: Yeah. That it's not fixed. And I like that idea that we can continue to grow how we view God and how we reinterpret God. And I think we have to be willing to, to change in ourselves in order to do that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. (laughs) New Testament and women. I'm going to try to speak a little quick, faster here. Um, Okay. Hmm. We've got Ephesians, um, which is sort of the most, one of the more obvious verses here, right? Wives submit to your own husbands. Um, I also wanted to think about how, how verses that we think are really quite lovely can be used in the wrong, can be used to hurt people in, um, fragile situations or in dangerous situations because we throw them around carelessly. So for instance, um, I uh the um, Compass center at UNC here close to where I live in North Carolina talks about how um, many women they have coming in from uh, abusive uh, marriages that, talk about how their pastor um, shared that verse, which is not on the screen now. that verse um, from Matthew about who whosoever should lose their life shall find it. and they were able at some point to go to their pastor and say, this is happening to me, I'm scared, I I would like to leave my husband and they were told, this is this is your burden to bear, and um, you know if you if you are willing to to bear it, then then God will help you, and um, and God will you know bear you up, and and how often that shut down the woman for then you know much longer in a really terrible situation before she was able to get the courage, again, to to leave the situation, or the, the resources or whatever she needed to
2: leave the situation. Um, so we need to think about, you know, both
0: scriptures that are sort of obviously harmful and ones that we toss off casually, because we're not thinking about how can this be used um how might this be used to hurt someone who is already overburdened with uh, trauma or with, you know, difficult things in their lives that are sort of beyond my imagining because I'm not in that social location. I am not struggling with that hard thing.
2: Uh, If we can get the slides back up we can
0: talk about different hermeneutics, but I'm going to skip past that because we don't have the slides for now. Um, So the book that I wanna recommend for women in the New Testament is um, this one, The Women's Bible Commentary, um, which I really like because it is not trying to give um, sort of answers to all of the issues of women in the Bible. It is basically uh, sharing information about where women appear and verses that relate to women in some way, but it's not saying, um, here's how you should interpret the Bible in regards to women. Um, And it doesn't try to make everything look nice. It kind of describes the good, the bad, and the ugly and lets readers wrestle with it. Um, Michael, could you go back to the previous slide? This is a list of hermeneutics, which are ways of introducing or uh, ways of understanding biblical interpretation. I'm not going to go through all of them because we are out of time. But um, afterwards, we can talk about some of them or if you yeah, just the, the important thing is that there are these different ways of, of approaching scripture that will help people, particularly women or other groups that are um, have traditionally less power in, in society to, um, it helps you ask questions that will lead to different answers in scripture. And And the three questions that I wanna emphasize here are what does the text in in the hermeneutics of critical evaluation? What does the text do to those of us who submit
2: um, to its world of vision and values? And then, um, in hermeneutics of remembering and reconstruction,
0: whose histories have been lost and whose voices have been silenced? So who
2: is in Who's in the scene, but isn't given a voice in the text? Who is
0: present, but the text doesn't give them a microphone to speak or overlooks their experience or doesn't um, doesn't share their perspective. So particularly in the New Testament, this happens a lot. There are crowds of people, women are there, but we don't hear their story in the text. So just thinking about whose voice is silent and also how do we use this? If, if, we, if we do submit to this text in this traditional way, what does it do to people's lives?
2: Okay, we can skip forward too. And I'm sorry that I've gotten so close to the end of time here. Um, because this is
0: super important, but uh, New Testament and and queer folk, um, how has the New Testament been interpreted to cause harm? There are several verses here that have been taken out of the sexual context of the time um, to focus on homosexuality and queerness, instead of understanding that there was a whole lot of other sexual behavior that was also being um, sort of condemned or um, judged harshly that is, you know, accepted in our church now, or is, you know, not something that we, uh, that we worry about. Um, you know, if, if you think that, um, that the New Testament is, is condemning something like some kind of sexual behavior, you're probably right. But, there's also a lot of other verses about sexual behavior that we that we just kind of skip over. and these ones are pulled out and and thrown in people's faces and uh,
2: to kind of point fingers at them.. Um, okay, next slide. And I'm going to need someone to read Matthew 19. Would anyone be willing to? Oh, that's okay. This is the queer Bible commentary. Again, wrestles with issues
0: without giving easy answers. Um, I like that it, it presents problems or like, again, good, bad, ugly. It's all in there and then readers can work through it um would anyone be willing to read matthew chapter 19 verses
3: 3 to 9 yeah i can do that okay Mm -hmm. thanks okay actually is it on the screen yes okay uh no it's not on the screen okay if somebody has that pulled up then they can do it but i'll look it up
2: what's the verse Uh, Three to nine. Okay. Uh,
1: The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And he answered and said unto them, have ye not read that he which made them at the beginning, which made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say unto you, whatsoever shall Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery.
0: Okay, so this is a little story of um, when, when Pharisees are talking to Jesus about the law of divorce. Can people get divorced or not? And they are bringing up... Um, the verses in Deuteronomy that give one law that that Moses laid out about when divorce is allowed and Jesus says before that was given you have Genesis which said that marriage is this other thing and he's putting those two scriptures up against each other and saying these two things are in conflict and and I'm saying that Genesis is more important. I mean, I'm I'm quoting, I'm I'm saying this is what Jesus said. Jesus is when he says in the beginning it was not so, he's saying the prior, the prior scripture is is the one that I'm gonna go with here. And I'm ignoring Deuteronomy in favor of Genesis, because to me. This is what I believe about what marriage is. So, this happens all the time in the Bible, right? Where you have sections of scripture that go up against each other. So, can we do that for Genesis and Romans or Corinthians or these other scriptures? Can we say, in Genesis, it says, it is not good for man to be alone? And I'm going to put that up against the law in Leviticus that says that two men should never be together and say, I think the older law wins here. Just just an idea. (laughs) If Jesus is doing it and saying, I'm going to hold to this principle of what Genesis says, then I think we can follow that example of using scripture in this way and saying,
2: it's not clear what the Bible says. So instead, um,
0: how I think we should use the New Testament, we can go to the next slide, is to basically create touchstones for ourselves, create verses that look to verses that to us um, are, are our moral compass of what we believe. And then when we have times where scriptures go up against each other. Um we don't just say those certain verses aren't in the New Testament. They're there. Um and they've been read in certain ways for hundreds of years. And ignoring them or saying that's mistranslated or um you know giving some other excuse for them that doesn't help anything. We have to engage with them in some way. Because if not, then they continue to hurt people. So instead choose verses, and this is just a short list of ones from the New Testament that that anchor me and help me. Choose verses that will anchor your values and then negotiate the scriptures through the lens of those verses, because there will be contradictions and there will be challenges. Um, There are different ways of framing. We choose how to read scripture And I say that not that we can choose how to read scripture, but that we do choose to read how to read scripture. And thinking that we, that we're not making that choice, um, that's, that's a privilege. And it's a reckless, uh, it's reckless to believe that you're not making a choice. So instead, be deliberate in your choice. Use good touchstones. This last one to me is um is the most helpful i came that they may have life and have it more abundantly are we using scripture to fulfill that mission that jesus gave um to have to give all people more abundant life and then use the new testament as a rock to build
2: that goal of a more abundant life for everyone and i say these things in the name of jesus christ amen Amen. Um, thank you, Margaret. Uh,
1: I love this idea yeah. of creating touchstones from, um, yeah. from scripture and, um, and identifying agency, our agency as we're reading the scriptures and really, um, thinking deliberately about, um, about how we're engaging with that. Chris, did you have something?
4: um anything i we can we can talk later i'm um but i guess i will make the comment that it, it seems to me that with every one of the categories that margaret talked about um there are scriptures which are pointed and painful um but over time every every line every verse that has sets up any sort of hierarchy, any sort of better than, less than, um, any sort of ranking has been used to make people lesser, to make people someone who could be oppressed. And, and so it's as simple as, as any ordering, any kind of hierarchy
2: gets used to punish people. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and I'm I'm,
4: sorry, we're looking for Steve Olson to <laughs> um, promote so that he can give us a closing prayer. Uh,
1: so while Chris is looking uh, for that. Um, oh. There. Yeah. Okay. Hello. All right, so uh, we're gonna have Steve Olson uh, offer our closing prayer uh, today. Uh, Steve is uh, Margaret's uncle. Uh, He's uh, worked with the church history department for many years and uh, including heading the Nauvoo Restoration Project. Uh, Well, our next uh, live lesson will be on January 22nd uh, at this new 2023 time, 9 a.m. Mountain, 11 Eastern. And everything in between, and before, and after, wherever you may be joining us from, uh, and that lesson will be led by Professor Matthew Wickman. Okay. Where?
4: Shall oh, I... there you are. Um, Steve, are you able to speak now? Uh, can you hear me? Yes. Great. Wonderful. Okay. <laughs>
5: Dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for this occasion, grateful for um, the technology that brings us together in many parts of the world. We're grateful for the scriptures that give us light and truth as we read them and inculcate them in our lives in sensitive and expansive ways. We are grateful for Margaret, for her um, extraordinary insights into how the scriptures, thy word is used and misused. And grateful for the cautionary tale that as we engage uh, thy word, that we do so in thy name and with thy perspective. Help us to avoid and resist the tendency to use thy word for our own purposes. Help us to uh, rise above the celestial um, the, uh, conditions of our day, um, to receive a measure of thy spirit um, that was promised us in our, in our baptismal covenant and help us to um, reach out and embrace all thy children as thou hast done. Help us to keep this Sabbath day holy unto thee and to live more abundantly and more intentionally In thy name. And so we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Thanks, Steve. You've been listening to the Dialogue
0: Gospel Sunday Study. Find more of our podcasts at dialoguejournal.com slash podcasts.
2: Dialogue Podcast Network.